0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 102 of Buds and Blue Jays, your place for all things related to the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm your host, Jesse Burrell, and I am joined as usual by my co-host, Riley McConnell. And Riley, it's official. The Toronto Blue Jays are a last place team after being swept by the Baltimore Orioles. The Blue Jays are now 1-10 in in their last 11 games within the division. And I don't know about you, Riley, but that simply will not cut it. We'll get into that a little bit more into this episode, including why can't the Blue Jays hit with runners in scoring position? Why can't they hit in general? We have thoughts on Alec Manoa, the Blue Jays catching situation, all the pitchers we saw in this series, and so much more, guys. But remember, our show is free And we're available on all platforms, so please like the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that fun stuff and so much more. And please, a five-star review if you are listening to us in podcast land. Share, download, tell a friend, all that good stuff. But Riley, before I get into the game recaps here, a sweep against a divisional rival to finish a 4-6 and homestand never feels good. How are you feeling? How are the vibes right now for the Toronto Blue Jays?
1: Vibes are not good, Jesse. I mean, I think we already knew that going on the air right now. you for filling in for me against the Yankees, that would have been a tough series to cover as well. I don't know if this is tougher. This one stings a little bit more because, I mean, it's the Baltimore Orioles, and they're they've done really well as a team. I'll give them that. But the way that our Blue Jays are designed, are starting pitching who we had on the bump, we should have at to me at, at the very worst of our play, taken at least one game in this series, whether that be a blowout game or a one nothing game or, or whatever. But we lost all three, Jesse. You never feel good getting swept. Mm-hmm. You never feel good about getting swept by you know a division rival when I know it's early in the year, I mean, you said last place. Yes. How tight our division and how competitive our division is is in a month, Jesse, I'm going to figure that the whole standings are going to be shaken up just a touch because there's no way we're going to stay down in this basement for too long. And it just it sucks, man. This is a series I know a lot of us were looking forward to and we watched the games. It wasn't very good, Jesse. A Mm -hmm. lot went wrong, man. A lot went wrong. Not anything that could went wrong. But not a lot went right for us in these three games.
0: We'll get into it a little more as this episode goes further. For those of you who didn't watch, honestly, good on you. That, that takes a lot of poise, but let me tell you what happened in the three-game series against Baltimore here. Game one of the series on Friday night, the Jays lose this game 6-2. to two. The Jays took a 1-0 lead in the second thanks to a Danny Jansen RBI single, but Blue Jay killer Ryan Mountcastle took Yusei Kikuchi deep for a three-run home run. The Jays were able to get a run late, but it wasn't enough. Eric Swanson gave up another home run. Back-to-back appearances where he gave given up a home run. Brandon belt reached base three times in the losing effort and George Springer and Danny Jansen had multi-hit games. Game two, the game that took place Saturday afternoon. The Jays lost this game 6-5 to in 10 innings. The Blue Jays fell down early as the Orioles got two solo runs in the second and third off Alec Manoa. George Springer ultimately went deep to tie the game, and then Danny Jansen had a go-ahead home run to give the Blue Jays a lead. Jays were able to add two more to take a 5-2 to lead into the eighth when Eric Swanson allowed two men to get on base, and John Schneider brings in closer Jordan Romano for the four-out save and proceeds to give up a three-run game-tying home run as the O's tied the game. The Blue Jays had runners on in the ninth, could not get a run across. The Blue Jays had runners on in the tenth and could not get runners across as the O's take their take the lead thanks to a Matt Chapman throw that hit the runner in the back, and the J- Orioles win that game six to five. Game three, the game that just finished up here. This is the one that leaves a sour taste in our mouth. The Orioles won this game 8-3 to in 11 innings. Matt Chapman did hit a solo home run, and then Kevin Gosman let a few O's string some hits together against him to get a few runs. Matt Chapman added a sack fly to keep this game close. Gosman ended up going eight strong innings to help rest a depleted bullpen. Both teams scored a run in the 10th, and then Baltimore explodes for five in the top of the 11th off Jimmy Garcia, and honestly, the Blue Jays just looked defeated in the bottom half. After this series, the Blue Jays have a record of 25 22. We're eight and a half games back in the AL East, dead last, sitting in fifth place, and we're two games out of a playoffs position right now, Riley. So, a lot of talking points to get into. There's so much going on that happened in this series. Where do you want to start, man?
1: Well, Jesse, I guess let's take us back to game one in that mm-hmm. jersey sitting on the wall. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our game one starter. Just, we're going to set the tone, and listen, Yusei Kikuchi has been great as of late. This start for him we saw a lot of the same kind of mannerisms and tendencies that last year's you say Kikuchi might've had. And that was really the lack of control on the mound. Yeah. He really yeah. did not have control over any of his pitches. And I mean, when you're given up, you know, if you, if you surrender a hit, surrender a walk, Right then and there, you got two runners on, and you're already behind the eight ball. You're bound to give. Statistically, you're bound to give up runs. That's what happened. I thought he got lucky. I thought that his line could have been a lot worse. It wasn't. We're lucky that we were somewhat in that ball game when he left. But you say Kikuchi just didn't have it. I mean, listen, he he's a left-hander who throws fairly hard good break on his pitches but pitch location and control have were really the issue in the start and i hope this isn't a sign of things to come i hope this is more or less just a hiccup jesse mm-hmm. i mean i was still go- going into this game jesse i was still very confident it's the first game of a weekend series against the division rival if you told me this last year you say kikuchi starting on the mound i probably wouldn't even have batted an eyelash <laughs> trying to turn on the game but this year is different the bearded usa kikuchi is different I'm not saying that this is going to be a huge setback for him, but what I'm saying is, though, I hope that this doesn't carry over to his next next start or the start after that, because he's simply better than what he showed. This was just a hiccup, and I know that he can turn it around from this, but not a good outing from Yusei Kikuchi.
0: Yeah, I guess what this outing shows is that he still has this in him, uh, this you know, this lack of command and all that stuff. Let me read you his line. He went four and two thirds innings pitch, three hits, three earned runs, four walks and three strikeouts. Riley, those four walks were the most he's had in an appearance this year. He actually hadn't had more than two in an in a appearance. And if you look at his pitching chart of where all the pitches were, his four seam fastball, he didn't throw a single four seam fastball lower than the middle half of the zone. Every single four seam fastball he threw was either at the middle of the plate or way inside or way above the strike zone. So fastball command for you, Kikuchi and Ultimately, he was hit hard again. Riley, an average exit velocity against of 92.1 miles per hour is the worst on the Blue Jays. So when you're walking guys, and when you do get hit, you get hit hard. Not a good luck for you, Sekakuchi. Let's hope he can turn it around in his next start.
1: Yeah, I and hey, I don't have all the faith in the world, but I have quite a bit of faith in the world for what Art we said is our fifth starter. He's really impressed me for the most part this year. It's the for, for really the thumbs down is more or less this start, mm-hmm. and I mean he hey hey. He's doing well for his for what we thought and what his season line says. Like, he's doing all right. I'm quite happy overall about what Yusei Kikuchi has done. But again, the four walks, let's hope this does not carry over to his next start or the start after that. Let's just take a step back, move on to the next one with a full boat of confidence.
0: Next start comes against Tampa Bay in the trop. So that's going to go great, I'm sure. But, Riley, we are burying the lead a little bit here because the thing that really killed the Toronto Blue Jays in this series was not Yusei Kikuchi in game one. It was the Blue Jays' offense, Riley. And I'm going to read you a bunch of stats of how the Blue Jays' offense have done in general versus how they've done in runners and scoring position, and you're going to tell me your level of concern, all right? Yep. Okay, so this is what the Blue Jays offense has done since that weekend series when I was in Pittsburgh. So that's the series against the Yankees, the series against Philadelphia, the series in Atlanta against Atlanta, and then the series here that we just finished up. The Blue Jays are hitting 235 as a team tied for 22nd in baseball. They're 295 on base percentage, 26 in baseball. Their slugging is worse than that. Their OPS is tied for third last in baseball. 33 runs scored in that time, also third last in baseball. They've only hit seven home runs in that time. 37.1 hard hit rate, 26 in baseball. 87.7 average exit velocity, 28th in baseball. They've hit 13 barrels, 27th in baseball. And they're hitting with runners in scoring position, 182. 27th in baseball, Riley. Is this blue Jays team, a bottom five offense in baseball? Because that's what it's looked like since that series in Pittsburgh, since May 8th.
1: Absolutely not. But I was almost hoping you would have not said the clutch aspect of it. And that Mm -hmm. would have been runners in scoring position. You want to know what actually concerns me, Jesse. And I know we'll bump out of that. I know that our on-base percentage will not be that, you know, over this season. I know that we are a top 10 offensive team in all of baseball. But, Jesse, what really does concern me is the hitting with runners in scoring position. And I know, like, we just have not been able to do that. And this dates back to our inaugural episode. We could have talked about that, you Mm -hmm. know, in our first five episodes of the show. We are just a notoriously bad team when there is a runner on second base or better. And I just wish that we could improve with this. I mean, Jesse, we can hit all the solo home runs in the world or the two run shots when the game's, you know, close or not early in the game. But when it comes down to it in the clutch, six inning or later, like we just don't, we just don't produce runs when there are runners on base. And that's the really frustrating part. And I know as a, you know, as a fan, really, when it comes down to it, Jesse, you and I are just fans. But as a coach, as a player, this stuff has to be infuriating. I mean, living for the big moments, it's 162 games a season. And when you're at game 46, when you're at game 146, when you can't cash runners in in a close ball game, it's a killer. It's mm-hmm. an absolute killer and to lose games because your big your big guns can't drive in a run when they're already over three on the day when you and I would say the guy is due. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real sting. Stuff like that concerns me because Jesse, I know the law of you know, the law of just evening stats out, it exists somewhere. Like I'm sure that there's gonna be a game where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets on base four times. I know that will happen eventually. But what I'm not sure is that in the clutch two weeks from now, when we need him to drive in a runner in the bottom of the eighth inning to tie that ball game, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. And I'm not just putting that on Vlad's shoulders. That's on, that's on the team, man. Cause it's not one guy. This is a one through nine sport. So one through nine game. And as a team, they just don't have that clutch gene right now. We need to get that. We need to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And I, again, all the numbers are gonna improve. Getting guys on base, I'm still dumbfounded that the Orioles did shut our bats down as well as they did. But I mean, like you said, we're going into it, we're going into a tough series in our next one. Like we got to figure it out, he split, or we're 500 yeah. on the year.
0: Yeah, Isaac and, and I talked. Isaac and I talked last episode where we even said like Vladdy needs to be the guy. He's the best player on this team. Like when you need a clutch hit, shouldn't it be on your best hitter to come through, get a clutch hit? Like he hasn't done that this year. And I want to talk about the rest of the team here, Riley. The Jays were three for 16 with runners in scoring position today. That makes them six for their last 36 or sorry, six for the last 66 with runners in scoring position. And some of those six hits didn't even drive in runs. In fact, over the last two series, Riley, I looked this up. Dalton Varshow, 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position with four strikeouts. Matt Chapman, 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position, three strikeouts. Bo Bichette, 1 for 5 with three strikeouts. Springer, 1 for 5. And then Brandon Belt, Espinal, Biggio, all 0 for 3. And then Kirk Kiermaier and Merrifield, all 1 for 4. Like, Riley, that will not do. Like, that's just plain and simple. Simply will not do. And I don't know how you fix this. The Jays did have a hitters-only meeting, too, to try to get this solved and figured out. But two days after that, more of the same.
1: Well, they got to figure it out because 111 yeah. with runners in scoring position just ain't going to cut it plain mm-hmm. and simple.
0: Mm-hmm. They need, need, need to get that better going here. And I, Riley, let's dive into Vladimir Guerrero a little bit more. And I want to look a little big picture here, Riley. Um, Here's Vladimir Guerrero's numbers, and I'm going to divide them up evenly by how he's hit on the road this year versus how he's hit at home on the road. Vladdy's been awesome. He's been a monster. 348 batting average, 419 on base, 630 slugging percentage, seven home runs, 188 WRC plus. That sounds like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. we've come to expect. But if you look at his numbers at home at the Rogers Center this season, 247 batting average 321 on base a 329 slugging riley he does not have a single home run at the rogers center this year in fact he went 0 for 5 today with three strikeouts two soft ground balls and 88 wrc plus vladimir guerrero jr is a below league average hitter when he hits at the rogers center this year riley and his 0.9 war on the season 70th in baseball not what you expected to see when you thought about vladimir guerrero jr so what are your concern levels on this riley
1: so I'm just going to – I'm a big whole numbers guy, and when you introduced me, Jesse, or whoever introduced me to this statistic wins above replacement, did you just say that Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s war on the season is – did you say negative 0.9? No, 0.9, so less than 1. Oh. Whew. Okay, that scared <laughs> me for a second. Whew, okay. So less than one wins above replacement. If you're going to even it out, if he's a three 2.8 war player by the end of the year, that's not the Vladimir Guerrero jr. I no, want it needs to be more than the, that. It does. I want the I want the six war guy yeah. that plays really good defense that has, I mean, I don't know where the home run swing has, has gone Jesse back to, you know, 15 episodes. We're talking about this spring training, Vladimir Guerrero jr. That's a changed man. You know, last year we talked about the body has changed. You know, he's made a physical improvement to himself. And then we, you know, now we got to address the... You know, the swings, the mechanics. So we've gone over all these different things with him. Look, we're not trying to make excuses for this guy at all. This guy is a pure talent, plain and simple. People who think otherwise, I I think are just dead wrong. He is a very good major league ball player and one of the best pure hitters of this decade. He just needs to put it together. And I mean, whether that's at home on the road, I don't care. It just needs to be consistent. And yeah, when you purchase tickets and go to the Rogers center, you got your $300 Vladimir Guerrero junior Jersey on your back. You want to see him hit a home run. Of course, the casual fan goer might, might think that or whatever. It's not as simple as that. I think, if it was four home runs at home and three home runs on the road, Jesse, I'm going to say right now that he should have more than seven long balls. I'm going to say that he should have more than the extra amount of extra base hits he has. Um, I mean, he just needs to, he just needs to hit better at the plate, he needs to stay out of the ground balls. I mean, hey, listen, you can get unlucky and find the fielders if you hit a sharp line drive into left sure. and it's right at a guy, yeah. an atom ball, whatever you want to call it, but th- then there's the discussion of, you know, him, I, I think there was, uh, I know you said for, or you know, 0 for 5 with 3Ks, it's not the only time, and they were a lot of strikeouts looking, like his discipline has been all different sorts, he's looking at pitches that he should be swinging at I like, I mean, he should be very aggressive at the plate. And I know he is at points, but he's looking at a lot of good pitches go down the heart of the plate. And I think he should be absolutely all over those baseballs because he can put very good bat on ball.
0: Yeah, the problem is today, too. He was getting pitches to hit. He was just fouling them straight back or or just off to the side or whatever or chopping them on the ground. And he did, at least today, for example, he swung and missed at a lot of sliders outside of the zone. Glad he's the best when he's selective and he's choosing what pitches to hit. Riley, he hasn't hit a home run. In about 17 days, May the 4th in Fenway Park was the last time Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a home run. And if you remember, that was the one he hit over the monster that disappeared into the night. It's been a long time for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I want to like I want to take a step back now and take it a bigger picture of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s career. And if you think about it, he came up in 2019. You know, he was fine. He was fine as a rookie. You know, he didn't hit the ground running, but he was okay. He took a nice little step forward in the COVID year that made you really promising thinking about it, that he would turn into the superstar. And then 2021 happened, Riley. And that's when the Blue Jays played their games in Dunedin and in Buffalo. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. absolutely raked that season. When um, when August came around and the Blue Jays got back to Rogers Center, he was good, but he wasn't great like he was earlier in that year. We saw last year how we were kind of disappointed in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. How, yes, he was still good, but it was kind of a down year. And this year, Riley, it almost seems like it's more of the same. So are we sure? That Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the guy we want to give that 300000000 million, 13-plus-year contract extension to when he is just this big-bodied first baseman who might not age well. Like, Are we sure we still want to do this, or is it too early to tell?
1: Jesse, in my opinion, it really is too early to tell. It's really tough. Around the league, league league-wide, man, you see these crazy contract deals being dealt. And I'm not Nostradamus. I can't see the future. I wish I could, or I'd say. You know, sign this guy for 10 years, sign this guy for 12 years. But that's the thing, Jesse. You hit a lot of good points. He's a big-bodied guy. For me, you look at some of the better first basemen in MLB history, their primary position was not a first baseman. They were a catcher, a third baseman, or a corner outfielder that slowly moved back. Let's look at the latest of guys. The two guys I'm thinking about, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera. They started their careers.
0: yeah, that's a I would compare. He, th- yeah.
1: that is I would compare him to a Miguel Cabrera type guy. Miguel Cabrera played third base until mm-hmm. he was 28, 29 years old. So if you were looking at regression, I mean in the in the sense of uh in early 2000s young Albert Pujols or Miguel Cabrera Vladdy is already behind them in a sense as far as uh, the weight of what he can carry defensively because he's not going to go to third base. He has made very good throws. He made a great throw in this series and in the Yankees series. Um, he's a very good defensive first baseman, and that's what I will keep him at. As far as his bat goes, if we're going to compare him to Miguel Cabrera, well, look at his lifetime average. You want to compare him to Pujols? Pujols has over 700 home runs. Mm-hmm we got we to gotta keep Vlad's ball rolling if we're going to make these tremendous comparisons to guys clearly in the Hall of Fame. That, you know, in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, as as high as hopes, dreams we have for this guy, like he's got to produce at the plate for that to happen.
0: Yeah, we need to see more plain and simple from one of our best hitters, Riley. And I want to talk about one more thing that happened in this series, and that's from our manager, John Schneider. And I'm going to tell you the story here. In game two of this series, it was the top of the sixth inning. Here's what happened. Alec Manoa got the first guy of the inning to hit a ground out. He then gave up a single to Adley Rutschman and then he hits Ryan Mountcastle on an 0-2 pitch. At that point, Pete Walker comes out to the mound to talk to Manoa to try to cool him to try to come up with a plan of attack. Manoa then proceeds to have a long battle with Adam Frazier, including striking him out on a slider where he got a check swing. After that strikeout happened, Frazier and Manoa start bickering at each other. We know Alec Manoa has been a big game guy. He likes to yell. He likes to get at to it. The two of them were kind of bickering at each other. At this point, John Schneider immediately jumps out of the dugout and goes out to the mound to try to settle down Alec Manoa, whether it was to try to calm him down, whether it was to try to come up with a plan of attack on how to attack Joey Ortiz. I don't know exactly what it was, but after the game, we found out John Schneider went out to the mound to ask Alec Manoa, hey, do you want to stay in this game? How are you feeling? But at that point, it was too late, Riley, because the rules of Major League Baseball say the second time you make a mountain visit in the inning, you have to pull your pitcher out. And it seems that John Schneider didn't know this. And if you look when the umpire, Dan Iasonia, is telling Alec Manoa and John Schneider that, no, you have to be taken out of the game. You see the look of defeat on Manoa's face just because he was starting to build momentum, which we really needed from Alec Manoa. And John Schneider was forced to take him out of the game. Now, thankfully... Tim Mesa was able to get the ground ball out and no more damage came across that inning. But still, this is a very, very bad look from John Schneider because either he just didn't know the rules of the game or he didn't know the situation. And really, you need a manager who knows what's going on at all times. And John Schneider didn't in this series. So what do you have? I know you have lots of thoughts on that, Riley. Tell me what that.
1: Listen, man, there's a word I'm about to throw out and Hey, I'm no one to use this word because of my tendencies and whatever else, but this was one of the most irresponsible things Mm. I've seen out of a manager Mm. and a blue Jays manager in a while. Like Jesse plain and simple like as a MLB manager, as a member of a coaching staff on a team, whether you're the hitting coach, the pitching coach, one of the base coaches, you have to know the rules of baseball and being the guy that goes out to the mound and talking to him, like, like, like the ship is sunk when he, when he starts his trot out there. And I, like I knew in my head, everyone knew what was going on except for a few guys. And those are the wrong guys not to know what was going on, Jesse. And it, it's it, Whether it's a lack of knowledge, a lapse in concentration, or just plain old just being flustered, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to look for excuses for John Schneider. It was incredibly irresponsible, and he has to know better. Again, he will learn from this mistake. I guarantee you, Jesse, I'm going to guarantee that he never makes this mistake as a man. I hope not, (laughs) because this is something this is something that will stick with him. I know for a fact, because this was so it was such a small thing, but it was so foolish and silly to do. And it really sucked. Yeah. Manoa's face, man. That was something like that's something that when, you know, find out that your dog died, that was Mm -hmm. the sad face he made. Like, I, I felt for the guy. Alec Manoa is a competitor. Jeez, I mean, like, you want to talk about dogs? Like, he was, you know, barking in that game and things. That's a whole other side of things. But he was at the moment of compete. I thought things were getting up for Alec Manoa at that point in the ballgame. I thought, okay, he seems locked in. He's ready to go. And all of a sudden, brick wall, Schneider comes out. Yeah, very irresponsible move, man. I just, it can't happen again. It won't happen again. But for now, Jesse, whether it costs us the game or not, it's not a good look for John Schneider. No, yeah, it's not.
0: And, uh, like, let's get into those, like, Alec Manoa a little bit here. We are running out of time, so we got to fire through these really quick. But Alec Manoa's line, five and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, two runs, one walk, five Ks. It's probably his third best start of the season, aside from that Yankees one where he threw a shutout and then his second start of the year in Kansas City. So this one was good. I did notice Manoa threw his fastball a lot more, over 70% of the time, which, hey, if you don't have your slider, which we've talked about quite a bit from Alec Manoa, don't throw it throw your fastball. And I don't think it's an accident. He threw more of that and had more success this year. I still think the command was a little off and I still think he looked a little shaky. So still a long way to go but progress and then we already talked about Yusei Kikuchi so let's talk about Kevin Gosman today eight innings pitch six hits two earn runs two walks four strikeouts Threw 115 pitches in this game Riley and the most he's thrown since 2017 and I thought his splitter uses was interesting he didn't throw a single splitter in the fifth inning and only throw two in the fourth which is weird for your best pitch but I guess if the Orioles are looking for it and you just keep pounding them fastballs it'll do the trick so 30 seconds or less Riley thought on Manohar Gosman's line there
1: yeah, we'll go to Gosman. I want to talk about something that's at least good. Uh, I thought that it was just more of a messing with um the Orioles hitters. If you know the pitch is coming, tipping pitches, whatever. Gosman has a great and effective fastball. And the fact that it plays off the splitter so well. Mm-hmm. And if he if he makes them think that, oh wow, this is gonna drop off the plate, and nope, it sticks in almost, I won't even say bottom of the zone, middle of the zone, then I know I mean he looked great. He, he looked fantastic. Tour and runs us line over eight innings. Whenever you get something along those lines, I mean, you're in good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good start from Alec Manoa. I want to talk about some of the positives here, and I'm just going to hammer through these guys really quick. Riley, tell me what your thoughts are on them. First one is Danny Jansen. He looked good this year. He actually got to catch Alec Manoa, which I think was part of the reason Alec Manoa had a good start here because he's very similar to Jose Barrios in the way their pitches move. So I think we're going to see more of Danny Jansen catching Alec Manoa in the future. And also he had a home run in this series, which was very good. Danny Jansen can go on these hot streaks. It's good to see he's on one now. He's actually got more RBIs on the season than Matt Chapman. Which surprised me. And then two other hitters that did really good. George Springer had two hits in every single game in the series, including a Springer dinger. He finally seems to be over that sickness that he had out there. And Brandon Belt is the other one that really gave me a good little positive. He's back into the cleanup spot now. And over the past two weeks, Riley, sitting 389, 522 on base percentage, 611 struggling. Good for a 218 WRC plus in that time fifth best in the American league. I'm still surprised. He only has two home runs on the season, but I'm expecting he'll get into a run where the home run power really starts to come soon. Riley, do you have a thought on either of those three hitters hitters—Springer, Jansen belt?
1: Yeah. So we'll start, I'll just be quick on all of them, but uh, mm-hmm. Jano, when he wants when Jansen wants to be hot, he'll be one of the best players in baseball. He might rival some of the games best when he is at his best. And uh, another guy who has absolutely had it, um, in the in the series would have been would have been George Springer as well I mean when you're collecting two hits every game like hey those are good numbers we want to accumulate things like that the home run it really helps man it absolutely helps out your average on the air because he's a guy who's going to hit in our leadoff spot what does the leadoff hitter do he gets on base he gets mm-hmm. hits Springer has done that and it's good to see the power just to return a little bit
0: And I just have some other notes that I saw from the series that I wrote down here. Stop me if any of these seem interesting, Riley, to you. Uh, Whit Merrifield got picked off base in extra innings today. Not a good look. Nate Pearson threw a pitch 101 miles per hour. Good for you, Nate Pearson. Matt Chapman finally hit a home run, his first in over a month. Still leads baseball in doubles, though. So, you know, good stuff there for Matt Chapman. Let's see if you can get a little hot. Kevin Biggio drew his first walk this series since April the 3rd. And then immediately proceed to get caught stealing second base as he overslid the base. So not good for him there. And Nathan Lucas got a start in today in game three and did get his first major league hit Riley. So any of those things catch your
1: attention? Um, yeah, the, uh, the Biggio one. I mean, listen, we've had the talk. Who's on second. We know who's on second. I'm if Espinall didn't have two hits in that one game, it uh, Might have been three. It was two he had or three, three yeah, hits. He had three. I might have, I might have just uh, went on a, a rampant roar there. Um Biggio for me being third on that list, um, and not being able to get on base and then getting caught stealing, stuff like that just stresses me right out as much as it does <laughs> any Jays fan. As far as Luke's goes, listen, he's obviously like the you know, final, final guy on the roster, the twenty-six man, what you want to call it. So the fact that he did you know, record a hit and was in the lineup. I mean, that's good. I wasn't a fan of seeing his name there because we're playing a competitive series, but if you're producing, that's fine. I can't imagine in two months that he will be a guy who's going to be steadily playing or something has gone tremendously wrong, but good for him
0: in the same sense, Jesse. Yeah. He also had a 10 pitch at bat, which ended up in a walk for Nathan Lucas. So if that's the 26 man on your roster, that'll work. That'll do just fine. Um, Some injury updates here. George Springer slid into second base and he hit his leg or he hit his head hard into the leg of the second baseman there. He appeared to be shaken up, but did stay into the game and was in the lineup today. So he seems to be okay. Santiago Espinal left that uh, game two on Saturday with a hamstring injury. Now the Blue Jays seem to think he avoided anything serious. He's not been placed on the IL yet, but Otto Lopez is in Toronto on the taxi squad. Just in case they do need to put Santiago Espinal on the IL and in the minor leagues, Mitch White's rehab assignment is now on pause due to shoulder fatigue. Once he's ready, to go again. His 30 day rehab process will begin again. So it seems like even though he wasn't good in his rehab start, we're still a while away from seeing Mitch White pitch for the Blue Jays and Addison Barger, a guy we haven't talked about really since spring training. He's been out since April 28th. He had his elbow checked out this week and his results came back clean. He's currently rehabbing at the development complex in Florida. No news yet on when he'll be back into a Buffalo Bisons lineup. So any major fallouts from those injuries, Riley?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, Barger, a guy we haven't talked about a lot, who's really showing a lot of promise or has showed a lot of promise. It's tough early on in your MLB career or, you know, minor league career, I should say, to get to your road uh, to the MLB when you are set with these injuries in a season where, you know, you might be called up in September. I'm not ruling Barger out, um, you know, at this point, for sure. Injuries or not. You know, you hope he recovers. You hope he is set back into the lineup after, you know, the time and rest he needs to take. And I have full expectations that we will see him um, have his first plate appearance in a, in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. I am sure by the end of this 2023 season, he will be up at some point.
0: Yeah. I had that same thought this afternoon watching this as well. I think a September call-up might be lucky for, or might be in the play for Addison Barger later this year. Riley, with that being said, the Blue Jays continue their losing streak and play yet another AL East opponent. This time we go to the Trop, and we know nothing good ever happens in the Trop. As we begin a four-game series there, probable pitchers will be Chris Bassett against an opener, but it seems like Josh Fleming will be getting the bulk of the work in Game 1. Game 2 will be Jose Barrios against Taj Bradley. Game 3 will be Yusei Kikuchi against Shane McClanahan. And Game 4, Alec Manoa against Zach Eflin Riley. Just really quick, are we going to win a game this series? Are we going to win two? Are we going to win three? Let me know how we're going to do.
1: We're gonna win a game this series or more. I'm gonna say it like that. We're gonna we're gonna win a game, and after that, listen, I'd love to walk into the Jesse. If we won the first game of this series, I wish we were doing this after the first game uh, against the Rays to, right now, so I could just address and we won that game, game and say, okay, nothing to worry about, guys. But let's not push the panic button yet, Jesse. Oh, but we're against. I want to. The, uh, hey, 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 hands off, hands off, brother. <laughs> Listen, we're in this together. That panic button will be pushed at the same time for right now. Okay, so deal. we're still above five. We're, we might be at the bottom of the division. The raise might be at the top. We're still above 500 and we're not even in the month of June yet. Mm-hmm. There's True. a lot of baseball to play and our schedule is different this year. Yes. Like I think the next two and a half weeks for us are very, very difficult. After that, things will clear up a little bit. But our team is going to pick up. We will not have a four-game series of seven runs scored or have a big explosive blow-up in the 11th inning like we did today. Things are going to get better. Let's just survive against this Tampa lineup for right now. I want to say that even if we lose this series 3-1, to we still have a lot to look forward to, and it's not – It's not going to really set us back a ton, but Jesus, man, let's just stay above 500 for the, for, for all it's worth, man. We have to stay above 500 for this team to work at this point, because at some point, Jesse, it will be too late to come back from it. That's not right now. It is never too late right now. But if we're in the same situation, you know, 75, 80 days from now, then we're in trouble. Riley, Let's get I'm, through. Let's survive. This I'm, glad, series.
0: I'm glad you have the faith here, Riley. We're going to need to keep our heads above water. Keep floating. So the Blue Jays. Hey, eight and a half games back before June. It's manageable. It can get done, but the Blue Jays are going to have to go on a hot streak here soon if we want to win the AL East. That'll do it for our episode here today, guys. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please make sure you like the video on your way out, subscribe to the channel, and we're going to be with us all season long as we do this with the Toronto Blue Jays. Riley, I have nothing else to add. Anything you want to make sure we mention before we get out of here?
1: I don't, Jesse, I think whatever's been said has been said. Yes, I mean, has. Well, let's not talk about this Orioles series ever again. Let's bury this deep in the archives and hope that the Rays aren't the same.
0: I'm with you, my guy. We'll see you next week to recap the Rays series and let's hope we have some positive stuff to get to. We'll see you guys then.
1: Thanks, guys.